Welcome to week number two of our six-week season called Next Gen. Uh, Next Gen, as you've been hearing, is a spiritual initiative that's uh, about the future impact uh, of our church. This Thursday, we, we kicked off the first of our vision gatherings, and if you haven't signed up yet, I just really want to encourage you to go to The Current today, go out um, on the, the courtyard after service today and get signed up. We have seven more um, opportunities to be at a vision gathering. The one on Tuesday is already filled up, and so you'll want to get signed up as soon as you can. We're, we're encouraging our small groups to come together uh, to experience this together, to share a, a free meal. We're providing food each time, and our vision gatherings are a time uh, for you to come and ask the questions you have. Uh, it's also a time where I'm going to be sharing with you more information about the, the process uh, than we are able to share on, on Sundays. And so I just want to encourage you to be there. If you don't have a small group, that, that is not uh, any kind of barrier for you to come. Uh, we want you to come a, as well. You can get signed up also. And I'll just say I look forward to seeing you there. So hope you'll take part in that. Uh, Psalm 78.4 is our key verse for this season. And I want us this morning to read it out loud together. So would you read that with me? God's word. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and mighty wonders. Now, that's what this next-gen season is all about. And I just want to make it really, really clear again this week that next-gen is not about buildings. It is not about money. It is not about programs. Next-gen is about God. It is about God's kingdom. It is about what God wants to do in us and through us in this church. It's about what God wants to do across our region for the people that he loves so much, the people that, that Jesus died to save. See, sometimes we get focused on some of the external things, and we think, okay, this is about growing our campus. And yes, uh, we plan to build a new worship center, but we are doing that so that we can invest in the future generations to come. We are doing that so that we can reach our region. And, and you'll want to remember we have a, a, a goal part of next gen that we will see um, into the future 1,000 adults in small group community all across the West San Joaquin Valley. And we're, we're about halfway there. We want to make as much progress as we can on that as possible. Uh, and if you haven't heard yet already, we've started six new groups just in the last couple of weeks. And we're super excited about that. So next gen is just an essential part of fulfilling the mission that God has given us. Now, we've been describing this season um, as a journey, and that's what this message series is, is called, our, our next-gen journey. And, and that's what we're doing during these six weeks. We're, we're taking a journey as a church family. And, and it works like this. As you are hearing the, the vision uh, each Sunday, as you are meeting each week with your small groups, um, I am asking each of us to uh, commit to praying daily, just to making it a matter of prayer and I hope that you have already begun asking God what he wants to do to accomplish his will for Southwinds uh, through your life. What he wants to do today, what he wants to do tomorrow, what he wants to do into the next generation. And, and next gen really is a journey uh, of faith. You know, as I said last week, you may remember, God calls us to difficult tasks. Have you ever noticed that? God calls us to tasks that we cannot complete on our own, to, to challenges that seem impossible for us. And he does that for a reason. He does that to push us to, to trust him to do what only he can do. Challenges that are beyond us push us to have faith. 
Faith is actually what we're going to be talking about today. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to get your Bibles open to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 14, and I'm going to be reading verses 22 to 33 in in just a a few moments. But this passage gives us one of the Bible's best picture on how we can take this journey of faith. It's a very familiar story. It's the story of, of Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And it describes the experiences that many of us will have as we go on this journey. Today's message is entitled, uh, Get Out of the Boat. And God is calling us as a church family, God is calling us as individuals to get out of the boat. I want you to write this down. To take the next-gen journey calls us to take a step of faith and allow God to take us somewhere we've never gone before. Now, I just want to ask you, is anybody here, you know, anybody here interested in letting God take them somewhere they've never gone before? It leads to another question that I really want you to write down because I'd really like you to take it out of this place. I'd really like you to think about it um, in the, the week that is ahead. And the question is simply this, am I willing to take a step of faith? Whatever that means for you, and it's going to be different for all of us, am I willing to take a step of faith? I want you to keep that question in mind as we read God's word, Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. Matthew writes, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, just stop for a moment and let that sink in, okay? Just think about what's happening. Peter's walking on water. Verse 30 says, But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Here's what I want us to think about today. God often calls people to get out of the boat. And What you want to see this morning as we go through this passage is that walking on water is really a picture of doing with God's help what I could never do on my own. You know, when you read the Bible and you see God call, there's this pattern that we see in his his walks that he asks people to go on. He he always calls them, and there's, there's always fear, but there's also always reassurance, and there's also always a decision, and there's ultimately always a changed life. By the way, you don't need to forget this. People who say no to God's call are also changed. They become a little harder. They become a little more resistant to the next call. They become a little more likely to say no when God speaks. 
There's always a change. And this, I, I believe, as I've been studying, it's such a great story for us as a church right now. And here's, here's the reason why, and you may not have thought about it in these terms, but in the next few weeks, we will be in a time of storm. Uh, you're, you're welcome, by the way, for that news. <laughs> We're going to be in a time of, of some fear and, and some anxiety And I'll just tell you this, as we're going through this, if you have no fear and you have no anxiety any way, shape, or form, here's what it probably means. It probably means that you really haven't listened to God. It probably means that you have checked yourself out of this process. It probably means that you're not doing anything that challenges you in any way. So if you're saying, I don't have any fear, I don't have any anxiety, that may not be really good news. But if we go through this journey, we're going to have some fear, we're going to have some anxiety. But on this journey, as we listen to Jesus, as we walk with him, it may be a time when we walk on water. Now, I want to talk to you about that this morning. And I I see six characteristics in this passage of people who walk on water, people who trust God to do things in their lives they could never do on their own. And here's the first one. Go ahead and write this down in your message notes. People who walk on water, they see where God is at work. I want to set the scene for you, kind of the broader context. If you read before this passage, you will see that one afternoon, Jesus and his disciples uh, uh, are, are, are together on, on the Sea of Galilee, on the side of the Sea of Galilee, and, and Jesus tells Peter and the other disciples to get into a fishing boat. They had just gone through a very heavy time of, of ministry with Jesus, and Jesus wanted to be alone. He wanted to pray, and so they push off the shore. The Sea of Galilee is not a very large body of water. It's only about four and a half miles uh, at its widest. And and keep in mind that these guys in the boat are professionals. They have spent their entire lives in boats. They begin rowing, and, and sometime after they left, a storm blows in. And this is not a minor squall. In fact, in verse 24, Matthew tells us that the boat was buffeted. Do you see that word? Literally, the Greek word is translated tormented. It is the word that's often used in the Gospels to refer to what demons do to people. And there's a very spiritual element that Matthew is suggesting that's going on in this storm. It is literally an incredibly violent storm. It is so violent that no matter what they did, they really weren't getting anywhere. Verse 25 says that it's now the fourth watch of the night, and that's 3 to 6 a.m. That means they have been rowing for maybe close to 12 hours. Imagine the size of the waves. Imagine the strength of the wind. Imagine the darkness of this night. Imagine this little boat struggling not to capsize. These men in it are cold and wet and exhausted and terrified, and they are hoping now that they're just going to make it out of the storm alive. One of them looks across the water and sees a shadow moving toward them on the water. And as he watches, it starts to look like a man, a man walking on water. Now, again, just let that sink in. The disciples are in great danger, and the only person who can help them is coming. But they think it's a ghost, and they are terrified. Verse 26 says, they cried out, in fear. You know, we might read this today, and we're sitting in a church, and it's nice and comfortable, and, and uh, we wonder, how could they have failed to see it was Jesus? I mean, who else would it have been but Jesus? But Matthew wants us to know that sometimes it takes 
eyes of faith to see when Jesus is around. Have you ever been in a storm? You're tormented by waves of disappointment, waves of doubt, and you missed seeing Jesus too? Ever been there? Let's dig a little bit deeper. Maybe you've read this story before and asked this question. I mean, what was Jesus doing walking around in the lake at 3 a.m.? Anybody ever want to know that? One commentator finds a clue in Mark's version of the story. In Mark 6, 48 and 49, uh, Mark includes this detail. He says that, that Jesus intended to pass them by. And that raises other questions. Why is Jesus sneaking around on the lake at 3 in the morning, <laughs> hiding from the disciples in the middle of a storm? This commentator points out that the Greek verb that's translated to pass by is used often in the Greek translation of the Old Testament to refer to something that's called a theophany. A theophany is one of those defining moments where God makes, and this is a quote from this scholar, striking and temporary appearances in the earthly realm to certain people at certain times in order to get across a a certain message. You, You remember the story when Moses is put by God into the cleft of a rock so that Moses could watch God's glory pass by? Remember when God told Elijah, the prophet, to go stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by? See, there's a pattern in these stories. Each time, God has to get someone's attention. He does it in many ways, through a burning bush or through wind and fire or here through walking on water. And each time, God calls someone to do something extraordinary. Each time, the person that God calls feels afraid. But each time, each time they say yes to God's call, they experience God's power in their lives. So what that tells us is that when Jesus was walking on the water, intending to pass them by. He wasn't sneaking around. Here's what he was doing. Jesus was revealing his divine presence and power. See, now that the storm had their attention, Jesus was showing these disciples a little more about this man they had entrusted their lives to. And they did not fully see it yet. But what was happening is this. God was visiting them in the water-walking flesh. Now, Matthew in his gospel, wants us to know that Jesus often comes when we least expect him, at 3 a.m., in the middle of a storm. And when he comes, he still asks his followers to do extraordinary things. And if you're not looking for him, you just might miss him. And one of your prayers right now, as I've been telling you, you should pray. And you may be wondering, what should I pray? Let me tell you, one of the things you ought to be praying is something like this. God, what are you doing at Southwinds now? You just ask him that. God, what are you doing in me? God, will you help me see you at work? Ask him to open your eyes so you understand what he is up to. I was just thinking about this. Uh, this 12, these 12 disciples are sitting in that boat. And we don't know how 11 of them responded to Jesus' voice. Maybe with wonder. Maybe with confusion, maybe with doubt, maybe a little of all those things. But here's what we do know. Only one of them, only Peter, was about to walk on the water. Only one of them recognized that God was at work. Only one of them saw that this was an extraordinary moment, an opportunity for growth and adventure, for trusting God. So here's the question, really, for all of us. Is God at work at Southwinds? Is God leading us? Does God desire us to impact more lives all across the West San Joaquin Valley for him? Does God have more 
for us to do? And friends, if the answer is yes, and it is, then you have to ask yourself, where do I want to be? With God? Even if it means getting out on the water or just sitting in the boat watching People who walk on water, they see where God is at work, and they want to join God where he's working. Here's the second thing about people who walk on water. We see that they get out of their comfort zone. Now, don't forget what's going on. Keep it in your mind. Imagine yourself in this boat. Imagine how violent the storm was. I mean, if it scared seasoned sailors, imagine the size of the waves. Imagine how hard the wind was blowing, how dark the night was. These were the conditions that that Peter faced when he got out of the boat. I mean, think about it. It's hard enough to imagine walking on water, right? When the water's calm, the sun's bright, the air's still. Imagine trying it when the waves are crashing over your head, the wind is blowing at gale force. It's 3 a.m. in the morning, pitch black dark, and you are terrified. Just put yourself in Peter's place for a moment. You, you see God is at work. The Lord is passing by, and he is inviting you on the adventure of your life. But you are scared to death. What would you choose, the water or the boat? I'd also like you to write that down somewhere on your message notes. Those two words, water and boat. Just think about them, what they mean for you in your life. Water or boat. The boat is safe and secure and comfortable. The water, though, is rough. The waves are high. The wind is strong. There's a storm going on. And if you get out of the boat, you might sink. But if you don't get out of the boat, if you don't get out of the boat, it is 100% guaranteed that you will never walk on water. See, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. That's a pretty profound insight. I hope you realize how significant that is, and you're grateful that I shared it with you this morning. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat, right? See, and there's just something inside us that tells us, I think, that there's more to life than just sitting in a boat. Don't you realize it? Don't you feel it that you were made for something more than merely avoiding failure? That there's something inside you that wants to walk on water, that wants to leave the comfort of routine existence, that wants to know what it's like to abandon yourself completely to the leadership of God and trust him to work in you in ways you've never imagined before? Do you want that in your life? See, let me ask you a very important question as you're wrestling with this. What's your boat? And I'm going to define it this way. Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is whatever you are tempted to put your trust in, especially when life gets stormy. Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up, even if it's keeping you from joining Jesus on the waves. You want to know how you know what your boat is? It's pretty simple. Your fears always identify your boat. So you just ask yourself, maybe even right now as you're walking through this and you're praying and asking God what it means for you to be part of, of next gen, what is it that most produces fear in me? Especially when, when I think of leaving it behind and stepping out in faith. It, it may be your job that's your boat. It may be a relationship. It may be your parents. I mean, you do everything for your approval, even though you're over 40 now. You know who you are. 
It, it may be success. It may be security. It may be a possession. I, I don't know. Maybe God is calling you to an act of sacrificial generosity, but you have a really nice boat. Maybe you haven't been out of your boat in a really long time. Maybe your boat is really comfortable. Maybe you sat down in your boat a whole long time ago. Maybe, maybe you remember, and it's way in the past, you remember a time when you got out of the boat regularly, when you would say, Jesus, just give me the word. I'm coming to you. I want to trust you. But now you've gotten really comfortable in your boat. See, what's your boat? In what area of your life are you shrinking back from fully and courageously trusting God. And fear, fear will tell you what your boat is. And leaving it, it may be the hardest thing that you ever do. I'm going to keep talking about this because it's so essential to the next-gen journey. It's prayer. We need to be, be praying. And, and if you know you have a boat that you don't want to get out of, and you need to just be honest about it with yourself, here's what I want to challenge you to pray. Something like this. Lord, I'm afraid. Have you ever prayed that to the Lord? Have you ever admitted it to him? Lord, I'm afraid, but I want to trust you. I want to do whatever you're calling me to do. Will you help me trust you? See, are you willing to pray that prayer? Now, there are some of you, if you're honest, you need to pray this. Lord, I don't want to do what I think you want me to do. <laughs> See, if that's where you are, that's what you should pray. Here's the thing. Does God know when you're lying to him? Theology by voting. Who thinks God knows when you're lying to him? So why not just tell him the truth, okay? He already knows. It's just keep, be honest with yourself. So just tell him. If this is where you are right now, say, Lord, I don't want to do what I think you want me to do. But Lord, I want to want to. Can you pray that? Will you change my heart, God? See, I think God honors prayer like that. See, if you want to walk on water got to leave your comfort zone. you got to get out of the boat. Here's the third thing we see. People who walk on water expect problems. Now, this may not be really good news to some of us because some of us are thinking right now, you know what? I just know it. If I get out of the boat, if I obey God, that's when God's going to take away all my problems. Some of you may even be thinking, you know what? If I make a sacrificial commitment to next gen, if I'm really generous, then God will protect me from all trouble. And he may. I hope he does. But that's not how God usually works, is it? See, even when we are obedient to God, we can still expect problems. In fact, did you notice in verse 22 that it says Jesus, did you see it? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. In other words, they were in the storm. Why? Because Jesus made them, because they obeyed him, they were in the storm. Now, in verses 28 and 29, this is so cool, Peter goes to the side of the boat, and don't you know as he gets to the edge of the boat, the other disciples are watching him really closely, right? Waiting to see what Peter is going to do. I mean, because they have seen Peter shoot his mouth off a whole lot of times before <laughs> this, right? They know that Peter is fully in touch with his inner impulsive child, and they are wondering, how far is he going to take this thing? He puts one foot 
over the side, still holding on to the boat. And I, I love how it says he had to go down out of the boat. I mean, think about it. He's, he's not just stepping right here. You know, the water wasn't nice and convenient for him. The, he's up in the boat. The water's down there somewhere, too. And he's got one foot over the side, and he's still holding on to the boat. And as he does that, he lifts that other foot up, and he, his knuckles are white, and he puts both feet on the water while he's holding on to the boat, and then he lets go. And Peter abandons himself ultimately, utterly to Jesus' power. And friends, for the first time in human history, an ordinary human being is walking on water. And I think for a while, it is as if only Peter and Jesus are present on the water. I think Peter is smiling from ear to ear. Wouldn't you be? I think Jesus is thrilled with his students. But then it happens. Verse 30 says, Peter saw the wind. Reality set in, and Peter asks himself this question that some of us have asked ourselves. What was I thinking? Right? He's out in the water, on the water, in the middle of a storm with no boat underneath him. He is terrified. But I want you to notice something. Do not miss this. Nothing has really changed, has it? The storm's been there all along. What's changed? The only thing that's changed is Peter's focus because Peter is now looking at the storm instead of looking at the Savior. This has happened to all of us. We trust God. We kind of get out there, and then we see the wind. You know, you, you begin a, a new adventure full of hope. Maybe it's a new job you sense God has called you to. Maybe, maybe God has called you to serve him in a new area of, of spiritual giftedness, and, and you're, you're afraid, but you're going to trust him, and you, you start doing that. Maybe you're trying to serve God in some new way you've never done before, and you start out full of faith. It's like blue sky time, and then reality sets in. There are setbacks and opposition and unexpected obstacles. You see the wind. And you should expect it, because this world is a pretty stormy place. It always has been. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, that we're still surprised. We know it's stormy, but we're still surprised. See, when this happens, we, we need to remember this truth that the Bible tells us again and again, that God sometimes sends his followers into storms. And sometimes when he sends us into storms... Sometimes we don't respond in the best way. Sometimes when we face storms, we freeze. Anybody ever get paralyzed with fear? Sometimes when we face storms, we give up. We throw up our hands in despair. Sometimes we just don't do anything. Sometimes when we face storms, we try to walk away. I, I ran across this story. It evidently came uh, from the San Jose Police Department. It's about a police officer who was taking an exam for a promotion, and one of the exam's essay questions read like this. You're on patrol in San Jose when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. You go and investigate. There is an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief who is out of town on vacation. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, and you realize that he is a man who is also wanted for armed robbery. 
Suddenly, a man runs out of a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and that the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown into a reservoir by the explosion, and he cannot swim. Describe in a few words which actions you would take. The officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. (laughs) Ever been there? Sometimes in storms, some of us decide we're just not going to leave the boat, right? We're never leaving the boat. But I want to tell you something. There is no guarantee, no guarantee that life in the boat will be any safer. The author Eileen Guter once wrote these words. You can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health, go to bed early, stay away from nightlife, Avoid all controversial subjects so as never to give offense. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessities and save all you can. You can still break your neck in the bathtub and it will serve you right. (laughs) See, I want to give you, I want to give you an ironclad 100% Pastor Mike guarantee. And you're not going to like it. I'll just tell you. Here's the guarantee. During next gen... Many of us will have problems. Some of us will get sick. Some of us will lose a job. Some of us will get discouraged and wonder why God isn't really taking care of us. And the answer is going to be God is taking care of us. But sometimes God knows the best way to take care of us is to take us through storms. And as a matter of fact, friends, it's not called next gen. It's actually called life. Problems. See, problems always test our commitment, don't they? See, maybe during the next three years, your your car's going to break down. Maybe you're going to think, I need to buy a new car, but you know if I buy a new car, I'm not going to be able to keep my commitment that I made to the Lord. What am I going to do? Will you buy a new car? Or will you figure out another way to get transportation and keep your commitment? Problems test our commitment. We should expect problems. I don't know about you, I, I just need to be reminded regularly that problems are not a sign that God doesn't love me or God isn't paying attention. They're actually a sign that God loves me and he's working in my life. The Bible is clear that problems are, are part of God's plan for his children because he's always doing something in us. Here's the fourth thing we see about people who walk on water. They, they know you can't grow without fear. Can't grow without fear. Now, this is, again, a part of a story that you're not going to like. Maybe you can write it down this way. Choosing to follow Jesus, which actually is the choice to grow, is choosing the constant recurrence of fear. I told you you wouldn't like it. See, you got to get out of the boat a little every day. Here's how it goes in these verses. The disciples get into the boat. They face the storm. They see Jesus walking on water, and they are afraid. Jesus says, don't be afraid. And so Peter screws up his courage. He asks Jesus if he can walk on the water too, and then he sees the wind, and he gets afraid all over again. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Now, do you think that's the last time Peter ever experienced fear? This is an important truth for 
following Jesus that we need to know the fear will never go away. Why? Because each time that I want to grow, each time it will involve going into new territory, taking on new challenges, and each time that happens, each time I do that, I will experience fear again. Isn't that great news? So you can just give up on trying to make fear go away. Fear and growth, they, they go together. They go together like meatloaf and mashed potatoes, like mac and cheese, like, like donuts and police officers. They just go together. It's kind of a package deal. That's what my, my police officer friends tell me, okay? I'm not hating on anybody. Fear and growth, they just go together. And the decision to grow always involves a choice, and that choice is a choice between risk and comfort. And one of the things that means is that to truly follow Christ You must renounce comfort as your life's ultimate value. And that's a hard one, right? Because we are into comfort. Who votes for comfort here today? That's one of the things. Come on, be honest. You know, honesty in church, always a good policy. I vote for comfort. I was thinking about it this week, and I'm dating myself a little bit here. Uh, How many of us here today remember those ancient times um, when we actually had to get out of our chairs to change the channel on the TV? You, You remember that? How many of us have experienced the horror of not being able to find the remote? <laughs> I mean, it gets pretty ugly sometimes around your house when that happens, right? See, we are lazy people, aren't we? <laughs> One of the things I hope you'll think about is that choosing to risk and trust or choosing to be comfortable, both of those choices tend to become habits. Each time you get out of the boat, you will become a little more likely to get out the next time because you're strengthening that faith muscle. You're trusting God that the fear doesn't go away. But the more you trust God, the more you can live with that experience of fear because you are realizing that it's not stronger than God and that fear doesn't have the power to destroy you. But, But on the other hand, every time you resist that voice, every time you choose not to trust, every time you choose to stay in the boat rather than to heed God's call, every time you prefer comfort, that voice gets a little bit quieter in you. And in the end, you don't hear the call at all. You may think you're safe. You may may be comfortable, but I'm just telling you, you will never know what it means to walk on water with Jesus. Here's something else I think would be good for us to pray. It's simple. Lord, help me choose faith, not comfort. Lord, help me choose your kingdom above my comfort. Help me choose the people you love above my comfort. Help me choose uh, my neighbors and my friends above my comfort. Here's the fifth thing that people who walk on water experience. They, They learn from failure. Now, Peter saw the wind. Verse 30 tells us that he gave in to fear, that he began to sink. And so here's the question really to think about. Did Peter fail? Did Peter fail? Now, before I answer that question, I want you to notice one thing. I really believe that this story radically redefines failure in the life of a Christ follower in this way. I think it shows us that failure is not so much an event. It's the way that we interpret or judge an event. It's about the the kind of label that we attach to it. For example, Jonas Salk invented the polio vaccine. You've heard of him, right? I mean, changed the world. 
But you may not know that Jonas Salk attempted 200 unsuccessful vaccines before he came up with the one that worked. Someone asked him one time, so how did it feel to fail 200 times trying to invent a vaccine for polio? This is his response. He said, I never failed 200 times at anything in my life. My family taught me never to use that word. He said, I simply discovered 200 ways not to make a vaccine for polio. (laughs) Someone asked Winston Churchill one time, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain through World War II? If you know the history, you know that for years, Great Britain stood almost alone against Nazi Germany. And this is Churchill's response. He said, it was the time I repeated a grade in grade school. The questioner said, you mean you flunked a grade? Churchill said, I never flunked anything in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. (laughs) Let me ask you a question. Was Jonas Salk a failure? Just take a wild guess, okay? You can be 50-50 on this one. Was Jonas Salk a failure? No. Was Winston Churchill a failure? He flunked a grade for crying out loud. Was he a failure? No. Uh, some of you know, I, I lived in the Chicago area for 13 years before I became the pastor at Southwinds. And, and I, I've told some of you, even though uh, I'm a lifelong Giants fan, I love going to Wrigley Field. I, I love watching the Cubs. That's one of the best places to watch a baseball game. And I will admit for you that I root for the Cubs as long as it doesn't hurt the Giants. Now, if you're a baseball fan, you know the Cubs have not been in the World Series since 1945. The Cubs have not won a World Series since 1908, 108 years. Are the Chicago Cubs a failure? That may be a bad example, actually. (laughs) They've just discovered 108 ways not to win the World Series. That's all, that's all, that's all. So, well, did Peter fail? Did Peter fail? Well, Yeah, he did. His faith gave way. He sank in the water. He he failed. But you want to know what I think? As I read this story, I think there were 11 bigger failures in the boat. They failed privately and quietly. Their, Their failure was safe and unnoticed, so nobody criticized. Only Peter experienced the shame of public failure, but only Peter experienced a couple of other things. Only Peter knew the glory of walking on the water. And I'm guessing he never forgot that as long as he lived. You don't forget something like that. It doesn't go away when you walk on water. Only Peter knew the glory of what it was to be gripped and saved by Jesus in a desperate moment. Do you see? Only Peter knew in a way the others never would that when he sank, Jesus would be there, that Jesus is wholly adequate to save. See, sinking people need to know that Jesus is wholly adequate to save, that his arm is strong enough. And Peter knew that in a way the others never did because they never got out of the boat. Friends, the worst failure is not to sink in the waves. The worst failure is to sit in the boat and never get out of it. That's the worst failure. Some of us need to pray something like this. Lord, I'm afraid of failure. You ever told the Lord that? Help me be more afraid, Lord, of missing out on trusting you than on failure. Here's the last thing I want you to see this morning. Number six, people who walk on water 
understand that the water is where Jesus is. See, here's the thing. Jesus is still looking for people who will get out of the boat. He's still looking for us to risk and trust. Why? Why should we risk? Well, there are many reasons that we see it's the only way to real growth. It's the only way that true faith develops. It's the alternative to boredom and and stagnation that is causing some of us just to wither and die spiritually. It it is a part of discovering and, and obeying the calling God's put into your life. There's a lot of good reasons to get out of the boat. But there is one reason, one reason that trumps them all. The water is where Jesus is. The water may be dark and dangerous. The wind may be blowing hard across the water. But friends, Jesus is not in the boat. And Peter got out of the boat because he wanted to be where Jesus was. Did you see it in the text? Matthew keeps referring to this reality. Peter's request in verse 28 is, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He wants to be with Jesus. Verse 29 says, Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. He wants to be where Jesus is. And I'm just telling you today, please hear me. I'm telling you, you will not get out of the boat until you want to be where Jesus is more than anything else. Now, Peter, because he did this, he and his friends came to a deeper understanding of Jesus than they ever had before. They they came to see more than ever that they could place their destinies in his hands with confidence. They understood that the one in their boat was the one alone who walks the waves of the sea, and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. That's what ought to be happening as you read this story. It ought to cause your heart just to well up in worship of Jesus who walks on water. When was the last time You got out of a boat. God's general method for growing faith in us, for making us strong, is to ask us to get out of the boat. And friends, it's a whole lot more than listening to messages like this, maybe. It's a whole lot more than reading a book. The way God does it the most is he uses real-world challenges that test us and stretch us and develop our ability to trust in him. And, and we tend to seek a world of comfort. We, we try to construct these manageable lives with security and predictability, and it's all just to maintain the illusion that we are in control. Sometimes, sometimes God passes by and he shakes everything up. And the call to get out of the boat, it's going to involve crisis. There's going to be opportunity. There's going to often be failure. There's always going to be fear. Sometimes there's going to be suffering. And always and always, always, the calling is to a task, to a challenge that is too big for us. But friends, there is no other way to grow. There is no other way to be part of God's work in God's kingdom. I wonder if you're here today and... You remember a time when you were trusting God. You were just walking on the water on a regular basis. 
a time when your heart was like Peter's. Jesus, just tell me to come to you. Just tell me I'm going to come. There was a time maybe when you would risk sharing your faith with someone, even if it meant rejection. There was a time when you would risk giving, even if it meant sacrifice. A time when you would risk serving, even if it meant the possibility that you would fail. And sometimes you sank and sometimes you soared, but you were living on the edge of faith. You were walking with Jesus. But maybe now, you just haven't been out of the boat in a real long time. And maybe now you have a really nice boat. It's got padded deck chairs, and there's, there's stabilizers, so you never get seasick in your storms. You may have gotten quite comfortable sitting in your boat. But I'm here to tell you today, the Lord is passing by. See, in our next-gen journey, Jesus is still looking for people to get out of the boat. And and I'm not here today to tell you what that means for you. God will tell you what that means for you. It's going to be different for every one of us, so many different ways. I am here to tell you today, if you get out of the boat, you're going to have problems. I am here to tell you today that if you get out of the boat, you're going to be in the middle of a storm. And your faith is not going to be perfect. And sometimes you're going to fail. I'm here today to tell you that. I'm also here to tell you that if you do get out of the boat, for sure, for sure, two things will happen. First, when you fail, Jesus will always be there to pick you up. You will not fail alone. You will find that he is still wholly adequate to save. And then second, every once in a while, Every once in a while, you'll walk on the water. God will do something so amazing that you'll know it's only him. You will know you never could have done that on your own. You will know that beyond a shadow of a doubt, and your heart will give glory to God, and other people will see it and give glory to God. And you will just be so fulfilled as you trust him. And so my word, my word to you today, friends, is this, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. God has an incredible future for us here at Southwinds. There are so many people whose lives he wants to change through us. We have the privilege of being a part of that. He wants to impact the next generation for his glory. Would you bow your heads as we pray together? Heavenly Father, um, we're just amazed by you. Lord, first that you're God and you do these incredible things like this that we, we read about in your word. Lord, may, may our vision of you in your glory through your son Jesus cause us to, to worship you. Lord, I, I pray for each of us that you would strengthen our hearts and that we would choose to get out of the boat, whatever that means for us, Lord. And it will be different in each life. But we'll just trust you. We'll do what you tell us to do as we pray and seek your face, seek to know your will for us. Lord, we look forward to, to seeing how you're going to work in our individual lives, Lord, and, and Lord, across uh, this, this family of faith as we walk with you. 
into the future. We love you. We give you praise. We're so grateful for all that you've done in our lives, most of all for Jesus. And now, Lord, we just pray these things in his name, his good name, his glorious name, the name of Jesus. And all of God's people say, amen.